Hello, I'm Oliver Culling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello, and welcome back to my 70s TV childhood, the podcast which is dedicated to taking you back to childhood memories of 1970s Britain and the part that television played in our and our family's lives back then. It was time of three TV channels, no video or catch-up service to watch programmes you might have missed, and it was mine and I suspect many of your childhoods. So join me as we go back to those carefree, simpler days and let yourself wallow in a bit of good old-fashioned childhood nostalgia. Now before we get on to the main subjects of our episode, I'd like to thank all of you who've been in touch with me either by leaving comments on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, via our Facebook or Twitter stroke X pages, or via email to oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Also, a special shout out to you if you're one of our growing number of listeners on YouTube. We're starting to get a nice group of followers there as well. We've had quite a mix of comments in the digital post bag this week, Thanks to Paul, who got in touch to say that he's finally discovered the joys of Fantasy Island via YouTube, having not seen the show during its original run. Well, Paul, I can't believe there are still people of my vintage who haven't yet seen Tattoo ringing the bell and shouting, Boss, boss, de plane, de plane. So we're delighted to have been of service to you, Paul. Also, thanks to Adrian, who has called out my apparent BBC bias once again. In our Christmas episode, I apparently mentioned Blue Peter again and not Magpie. Well, I think to be fair, this was probably because the Blue Peter Christmas appeal always fascinated me, especially if I could never quite work out how they converted used stamps into lifeboats or minibuses or whatever the appeal was doing that year. I seem to remember Magpie had an appeal as well, and they just asked viewers to send him money, which is probably more efficient, but not quite as exciting, I don't think. Apologies, Adrian. I think that Magpie will be appearing in its own right later in Season 5, so keep an ear open for that one. I can't name you all, otherwise I'll be here for hours, but thanks to all of you who got in touch following our episode with Colin Edmonds, remembering Bob Munkhouse on the 20th anniversary of his death. If you haven't had a chance to listen, I would heartily recommend it. Colin was Bob's joke writer, and he provided some lovely insights into the man and how he went about his work. Many of you enjoyed listening, and I was amazed by how many of you had actually come into contact with Bob personally and found him to be a lovely man. We shall not see his like again. And finally, given the number of messages I've had about our episode featuring the bleak global pandemic drama survivors, I think I need to apologise. Anthony told me that I managed to send him into deep despair, just as he was starting to feel good about January, to the extent that his dry January ended just after our episode. Well, sorry for that. Although I do think we must do unrelenting bleakness and despondency more often. So bearing that in mind, I think it's only right that we look at something with more positive memories. So for the rest of this episode, we shall be remembering a programme which featured three nice young men who ran a special kind of agency whose aim was purely to help people and to do good for them. Oh, and they also shared a bicycle. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. 
The Goodies is one of those programmes that most of us remember very fondly, but possibly can't recall exactly what it was that we found so endearing. And that may partly be because the shows have not been repeated much since they were first broadcast, and partly because the comedy was very much of its time and dependent on the personalities of and the interactions between the three main protagonists. The Goodies was first broadcast on the BBC in November 1970 and ran for over 10 years, including its short, ill-fated transfer to ITV in 1981. And there were 76 episodes made, including two memorable specials, which we'll come back to later. The three Goodies themselves were a group of friends who'd first met at Cambridge when they were in the famous Footlights Theatre Company, alongside some of the Monty Python team. I think it must have been compulsory to be part of the Footlights to get into BBC TV comedy in the 60s and 70s, as that Cambridge influence seemed to be everywhere. The show was created by the three men, Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Garden and Bill Oddie, and originally they wrote it all together, although later the writing team was just Garden and Oddie. Now if you never saw the show or don't remember it, it's a bit hard to explain. It was a sort of sitcom, loosely based around the goodies business of helping people, as I said earlier, but it was also often quite satirical, making reference to current events in the UK, and also quite fantastical at times, a bit like a cartoon series. It used lots of visual gags and slapstick, and was influenced by silent movie comedians like Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. It used lots of stop-motion filming, and speeded up film sequences, and, as a result, it was popular with all ages, and did well in foreign markets too. Most of all, I remember it being laugh-out-loud funny. And another one of those TV shows that we always used to watch as a family. So it brings back lovely memories for me of my parents, my sister, and me watching and enjoying the programme together. And those kinds of memories become more precious as time goes on. Looking back, the stylization of the characters was very clever. Tim Brooke Taylor was the upper-class, stiff-upper-lipped Englishman who used to wear a three-piece suit with a Union Jack waistcoat and was given to making patriotic speeches at the drop of a hat, to the tune of Land of Hope and Glory. Graham Garden was the scientist, a bit of a stereotypical boffin with poor interpersonal skills, a love of gadgets and gizmos, and the one who tried to bring logic to bear in the ridiculous situations the team found themselves in. And Bill Oddie was the epitome of a working-class man, dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, and prone to behaving in a way which the other two would look down upon. In fact, while I think about it, the characters were pretty much satirising each level of British society, as it was at the time in the 1970s. Tim's upper-class patriot was also a cowardly layabout who didn't do much. Graham's scientist was quite arrogant in his certainty that he was right, and both of them in turn looked down on Bill, whose put-upon, downtrodden little man did most of the work and often found the way out of the scrapes the three found themselves in. Or am I over-analysing things again? Probably. So back to the show. One of the first episodes I do remember is also one of the best known. Whilst preparing for this episode, I asked my wife what she thought of when I mentioned the goodies. And almost inevitably she said, fluffy white giant kitten. In this episode, the goodies decide to set up a pet service called the Goodies Animal Clinic to look after wayward animals. They get lots of business and end up looking after animals, including a, a big snake, a goldfish, a hen, a large dog, 
a bush baby, a tortoise, a mongoose, a bat, uh, some more dogs, I seem to remember, and a tiny, fluffy, and extremely cute white kitten called Twinkle. To cut to the chase, Graham Garden feeds Twinkle some of his special growth formula he's been working on in his laboratory. And suddenly, Twinkle is transformed into Kitten Kong, who then begins to terrorise London. This is day two of Twinkle's occupation of the city of London. to capture the kitten have so far failed. (laughs) Despite strong protest to the police and the RSPCA, Twinkle is still on the loose. Michael Aspel, BBC, London. Thanks to no less than Michael Aspel there. As many of you will remember, during that sequence, Twinkle knocks over the post office tower and destroys St Paul's Cathedral before squashing Michael Aspel under a giant white paw. All I remember is my parents and my sister and me in streams of laughter, watching this really rather cute kitten causing havoc across the famous landmarks of London. I can't remember quite how, but eventually Twinkle gets an antidote, shrinks back to being a lovely little fluffy kitten, and London is saved. I'm sure many of you remember this, but I'll put a link on the blog to let you relive that moment again. As regular listeners know, I do try and produce the podcast based on what I actually remember about certain times and the TV shows that, when they were shown, and that means I do get it wrong or misremember certain things. But it is strange that when I was thinking about the goodies ahead of this podcast, I wrote down a list of the episodes I remembered most and very quickly got to around a dozen without any problem at all which isn't bad, given I haven't seen most of them for the best part of 40 years or more. It must be something to do with the ability of the plot lines and jokes to latch onto a memorable theme and then deliver the comedy in a way which burned it into my young brain. I'm sure you've all got your own favourite goodies memories, but here are a few of mine. Without wishing to go back to the grim despair of our recent Survivors episode, I do remember vividly an episode in which, for reasons I can't remember, the goodies office gets completely encased in concrete, thus cutting them off from the outside world. I was struck by what I later might have called the dark nature of the comedy. They end up being trapped in the concrete for decades and go through lots of different phases of behaviour. At one point, Tim and Graham decide they'll have to eat Bill to survive, and then at another they all find different religions. Graham becomes a monk, Tim decides to become Jewish, and Bill becomes a Muslim. I also remember that as the years went by, Tim and Graham aged, but Bill didn't, in a twist that was never fully explained. Eventually, a rescue party arrives made up of the 21st century goodies, who find Tim and Graham as skeletons, and Bill, who ironically has died, just before they break through the concrete to rescue them. Doesn't sound very funny, does it? But I do remember it vividly. We could go on for hours if I went through all of the other episodes I remember. Oh, please don't, I hear you say. But I will touch upon a few more. As regular listeners know, I like my sport, and one of the goodies episodes sticks in my mind for that very reason. Once again, it's set in the 21st century, which, don't forget, was still a long, long way off from the 1970s. 
and the episode was set in a world where competitive sport has become dull. Even the violence of rollerball, which is played in this version of our future. The Goody's sons try to change this and, to cut a long story short, decide to revive cricket. An ancient game that apparently involved digging holes in the wicket, pouring oil over it and painting George Davis's innocent on the grass. In a very contemporary reference to the abandoned Headingley Test Match of 1975. They visit the MCC retirement home. Unearth cricketers, manage to resurrect cricket, but also manage to set off a nuclear explosion. After which, the MCC inherits the earth, and I always remember them walking through the clouds of the battlefield, singing this song. And so it came to pass that the MCC were to inherit the earth and to retain the ashes. completely barking mad. But hugely amusing to my eight or nine-year-old self, I became a huge fan of the goodies. And my mother helped cement that when she brought me back a present from a weekend trip to Scarborough she'd been on with my granny. The goodies file was a marvellous book based on the show, and I absolutely loved it and spent many happy hours reading and rereading it. I've still got it and have it here with me now, which isn't much help for you listeners. Uh, For those of you who are watching, Anyway, I'm just holding it up to the camera now. I knew the whole book off almost off by heart, and it was, as the show was, funny, offbeat, completely mad in parts, and a little bit naughty too. Let's just take a look what's in here. Yes, now it features uh, correspondence with Prince Andrew on the goodies holding a private performance for him in Buckingham Palace. Mm, perhaps that's not as funny now as it was in 1975. What else? Articles about the Goodies New West End musical, Pius the Fourteenth Super Pope, very Andrew Lloyd Webber esque. How the famous three seater bike, the Trandum, was conceived and built, and oh, what's this? Poems by the Goodies, including Trousers by Graham Garden, which goes as follows: Always wear trousers in public houses, or you won't have anywhere to put the change. There you go. And this other one is entitled Love Is by Bill Oddie. There's a girl in 3C with a wart on her knee and a pimple on her behind. I gave her 3P and she showed it to me. Don't you think that was awfully kind? P.S. Wonder what she'd do for a quid. So, all a bit silly, but brilliant for me aged eight. As often happened, I'm not sure my parents quite realised how naughty some of it was, but it didn't do me any harm. At least I don't think it did. The goodies also became rather unlikely pop stars with a string of hit records. We're the goodies, how you do? We've just been down to the zoo. We saw a monkey in a cage doing a dance that could be the rage. It's not hard, so let's all do a funky given. Funky Gibbon, Funky Gibbon, we are here to show you how. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
The Funky Gibbon got to number four in the UK charts and was extremely popular with those kids at the time. It was silly, insufferably memorable and involved making silly noises, all perfect for a young audience. And that was the goodies' most successful and most popular record. But I think their second big hit was the one I preferred best. It came from an episode featuring martial arts. Now cast your mind back to the mid-1970s and we were in the midst of a kung fu craze, largely spawned by the successful US TV show of the same name, which featured David Carradine as an itinerant Chinese monk travelling across the Wild West, helping people out of scrapes by using Kung Fu, which he'd learned from his teacher in China. Ah, Glasshopper. Yes, you remember. So as with many of the goodies shows, they took this new craze for martial arts and combined it with something else, in this case the popular Northern Soul music movement of the time, to create the martial arts of Eki Thump which involved Bill Oddie dressed like a Lancashire mill worker and wearing a huge flat cap, hitting people with giant black puddings without shouting, Ecky Thump! Honestly, I'm not making this up. The episode was hugely popular, and Ecky Thump spread through Britain like wildfire. It was also responsible for a viewer, Alex Mitchell, literally laughing himself to death during the episode. He laughed continuously for 20 minutes, which ended in him having a heart attack. Mitchell's widow sent the BBC a letter. Do you remember those letters? Hmm. Thanking the goodies for making her husband's last moments so pleasant. Anyway, the cult and popularity of Ecky Thump led to another hit record. Black Pudding Bertha. It had everything you wanted in a song, including the word bum, in it, making it sufficiently naughty for small children, but clean enough for Top of the Pops. I remember it fondly. At that time, Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Gardner, and Bill Oddie were incredibly popular. The Goodies TV show was riding high in the ratings, and they were making hit records and albums. Their legacy isn't as well established today, though, as many other shows of that time, and I do wonder why. As we mentioned earlier, the shows have very rarely been repeated on mainstream TV channels, and I'm not sure why that is. Perhaps some of the comedy aspects have become dated in a way which shows like Dad's Army haven't. Thinking about that, I do remember an episode based around apartheid in South Africa, which, how can I put it, had some unfortunate cultural references in it, which is probably a polite way of saying that it was very much of its time. However, the goodies have not been completely forgotten, not least in Australia, where they have a huge following and are widely celebrated. A former Australian colleague of mine told me about this a few years ago. Apparently, the goodies were shown every weeknight for most of the 70s, 80s and into the 90s, securing it a legendary status with generations of Australian viewers. Apparently, it was often shown back-to-back with Are You Being Served? And my colleague was surprised that neither show was being shown much anymore on the BBC. Perhaps Australian audiences are a bit less sensitive to some of the themes and attitudes reflected in the show. 
Who knows? Oh, and before we wrap up on the goodies, I can't not mention the two specials that they produced, which we referred to earlier. These are two of my favourites from the trio, and thankfully they were repeated a few times in the 1970s, so I got to see them more than once. The first was a good old-fashioned pantomime, The Goodies and the Beanstalk, and took the traditional Jack and the Beanstalk story and gave it a comedic twist. I remember it being very funny, but what I remember particularly is they find themselves at the beanstalk and in the giant's castle, complete with a goose which lays golden eggs. Memorably, the trio pretend they're not interested in wealth and fortune. So when they sing a musical number, they have to try and focus on that. Work, work, work. I want to go home. Shush, 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 shush. No, never mind. Think of the money. Stop the money. Tim, you feeling all right? <laughs> quite right, quite right. After all, who wants to be a millionaire? I do. Don't have flashy flunkies everywhere. I do. Don't once the bother of a country estate, a country estate, is something I'd hate. Who wants to wallow in champagne? I do. Who wants a supersonic plane? Who wants a private landing field too? I don't. And I don't. All I want is you. <laughs> My sister and I loved that bit, I remember. The other special, Goodies Rule OK, came a few years later and involved a plotline where Britain elected a government made up of shop dummies who banned all entertainment, which then led to the goodies and other entertainers to overthrow the dull government. And what happens next is the bit I remember fondly. They installed a puppet government, literally, with Sooty and Sweep as Prime Minister and Home Secretary. Things then take a rather sinister turn as the puppets become corrupted by power and try to eliminate the goodies. Much fun follows, including a sword fight with Bill and Ben, a 30-foot-high, extremely violent Andy Pandy, and a run-in with a giant Dougal and Zebedee from the Magic Roundabout. All brilliant, memorable and hilarious. So what are the goodies after that? Well, in 1980, the BBC cancelled the show as it was deemed too expensive to make in the dire economic situation of the time. They signed up to ITV and made one series, but it was never quite the same. Each of them continued to plough their own furrows. Bill Oddie became a renowned naturalist with a particular emphasis on his ornithology. Timbrook Taylor, who unfortunately died of Covid during the pandemic, continued to work in radio comedy and as an actor appearing in sitcoms like Me and My Girl and You Must Be the Husband, and also in Banana Man. And Graham Garden, also in Banana Man, continued to work with Timbrook Taylor in that great radio show I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, and was also a prolific comedy writer and occasional actor. But I will still remember them all best as the goodies. And I will think fondly of those evenings around the television with my parents and my sister, where we laughed and laughed and laughed at their antics. In a way, I'm glad I haven't seen any episodes of the show for over 40 years, as I wouldn't want to spoil those happy memories. But it's been fun going back there now. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. What memories do you have of the goodies? Did you love the funky gibbon? Or are you an exponent of the ancient martial art of Ecky Thump? Let me know by visiting our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com 
or by leaving comments on our Twitter Stroke X, Facebook, LinkedIn or YouTube pages. You can also email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. That's all we have time for for this episode. Join us next week for the next instalment of our quiz and then in a fortnight for the next episode of the podcast. So in the meantime, take care. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, don't forget to join us again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.